Hello, fans of the Redskins and followers of Burgundy Blog and Burgundy Blogcast. I'm starting this at about 11.15 p.m. on Monday night, December 3rd, 2018. The Washington Redskins just participated in the Week 13 Monday Night Football Contest as guests of their division rival Philadelphia Eagles and lost by 15 points, 28-13. to And this game was many things, including unpredictable, ridiculous, and extremely painful. It's yet another primetime tragedy for your hometown Redskins. It drops the Redskins to a superficially respectable 6-6 six and six with four games to play. So you might think, you might, if you didn't know better, much better, that this season is still a thing, that it still exists, that it's still competitive. But you'd be wrong. This, of course, was the game where the season went completely off the rails and into the ditch and then exploded. And then there was an earthquake, and the broken, exploded season fell into a crevasse. It's over! This, by the way, is the 23rd episode of the fourth season of Burgundy Blogcast, which of course is the official podcast of Burgundy Blog. My name is Brent. Burgundy Blogcast is part of the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network, which you can find, and should find, at bluewirepods.com. Well, that was just four straight quarters of WTF. What an absolutely brutal game for a dozen reasons, yet again with the entire country watching, in a game the team desperately needed to keep its season together and maintain any hopes of winning the division after starting 6-3. and three. The proverbial hits, which had been coming all season, just kept on coming until this beaten, battered pulp of a team crawled off the field to the sound of those insufferable Philadelphia fans cheering and singing and incessantly cursing in those obnoxious accents, and also the sound of Jason Witten kissing Zach Ertz's naked buttocks. There is just no escape for us as fans and followers of the Washington Redskins from this situation or some variant of this disgusting situation. Every year, at the specific moments when we need from them the most, they deliver, for one reason or another, the least. And this was, without a doubt, the most important game of the season to date. We tend to say that over and over as any season progresses through its third and fourth quarters, I get it. But it's true. This was essentially, although not mathematically, a must-win to keep pace with Dallas for any chance of winning the division, and a division specifically whose eventual winner is quite likely to have 10 or fewer wins, and whose runner-up will probably be praying for and will need a great deal of help for a wild card. I've seen this movie a hundred times now, of course, and so have you. We've all sat through it together. We know that it doesn't work out for us. We know that we don't get the girl in the end. We know it. We knew it all summer, and in our hearts of hearts, we've known it all fall. We allow ourselves occasionally to forget and to intermittently, briefly, slip into comfortable periods of blissful ignorance and dare to dream and to imagine what if. What if they really can keep winning the turnover battle every game by two or three? What if Alex Smith really does have some magic that mysteriously makes up for his declining skills and incompatibility with the head coach? What if Colt McCoy is a secret gem because Moxie is all that matters? What if Jonathan Cooper is an upgrade? 
What if the Bama boys changed the culture? What if Preston Smith's light bulb came on? What if DJ Swearinger's finally going to give us an all-pro? But you know what? Hear this now and consider it long, for you will forget it again soon enough. It will never be good here again. All right, maybe I got a tiny bit carried away there. Or maybe not. But yeah, we can't have nice things. And all of it, all of it from the off-season and the early season, the good vibes and the thrilling wins, and the win streaks even, and the division lead, it's all gone away and it is not coming back. Colt McCoy was probably never going to be the savior we needed for this season. But in him, perhaps there was just the slightest flicker of a chance. And at the very least, there was some interest and some intrigue. Because he'd been on ice for over three years. He'd been in the playbook. He'd been practicing his little ass off. Meshing minds with Jay Gruden. A scout team savage. A high draft pick with the impeccable college resume. Whose career started off on the wrong foot in a football wasteland and from there was stalled by a string of unforeseeable injuries. We thought, and not insanely, perhaps a little naively, but with some actual defense, that at least perhaps, with some good bounces and a lightning strike, Colt McCoy could have made a little magic and launched these Redskins into the playoffs, maybe even at home, and solidified Jay Gruden's standing in the organization to finally deliver us some measure of stability and legitimacy. But then Colt, like Alex before him, broke his leg because, of course, just of course. And after that, let's be honest, it was interesting really only in kind of a freak show sort of a way because it was clear the defense was already leaking oil and has been for weeks and because Mark Sanchez is truly just one big human butt fumble. Let's set the framework here with a quick version of my notes. Redskins win the toss, elect to defer, which I like. Eagles get the ball. They, of course, go on a long touchdown drive like a hot knife through butter. There was that third down conversion play where Josh Norman and Swearinger both seemed to have a chance to stop the receiver just shy of the first down marker, but they both went for swipes at the ball to force a fumble rather than wrapping up. And the guy got the first and the drive continued. That has been a thing with the Redskins all year. I'll admit that we all enjoyed and benefited from the many forced fumbles through the first half of the season. But ultimately, that strategy, which they all use to a fault, has cost them dearly overall in the form of numerous devastating missed tackles and allowed chunk yardage after the catch plays, including but not limited to Amari Cooper's touchdowns on Thanksgiving. On that drive, I thought Zach Brown came off as a liability. He got exposed by Ertz on a long first down play. He missed a tackle in the hole on a run play that turned into a big gain. And then on Golden, uh, Golden Tate's touchdown reception, Lane Johnson clearly false started by like a full second at right tackle, and the refs just didn't see it. So the Redskins fell down 7 nothing. Redskins then got the ball. On their very first play, there was a holding. I think it was by Big Trent. Hurts to say that and acknowledge it, but there on their first offensive play, they added to their NFL leading number of offensive holding penalties. And of course, at first and 20, that killed the drive and they went three and out. They punted, then I think the Eagles punted. Then on the Redskins' next drive, uh, Doxon had a pretty nice catch with some big yardage after the catch of his own, which the Redskins have not seen much of this year. Uh, That drive was extended by pass interference against Philly on a third and 10 or 11. They started to flirt with the red zone, but then there was a series that included this weird, horrible-looking play where the ball was snapped by Roulier to Colt McCoy when he, like, wasn't looking for it or something, and... Every player on the offense was out of sync, and the refs just called false start offense. 
Shortly after that, there was a block in the back by Trent, his second penalty of the game already. Jonathan Cooper went out with injury on that drive and would not return. And then... The second quarter started with a 44-yard field goal by Dustin Hopkins, so the Redskins were only down 7-3. This is the unfortunate point in the game when we become aware that Colt McCoy has injured his leg or ankle. He tries to make some warm-up throws or practice throws on the sideline and is clearly unable. Then he limps into the tunnel toward the locker room. The camera will eventually show, of course, that he can't put any weight on his leg at all. And we find out that his season and our hopes are done. While I'm trying to start to wrap my brain about around this and process it, DJ Swearinger, who has been by far the most critical of all of his other teammates publicly all season, commits a terrible, brutal holding penalty, which negates a really nice group sack by the Redskins defense on a third down that would have gotten them the ball back. Luckily, that drive stalls, and the Redskins get the ball back deep inside their own territory. Sanchez trots out onto the field and proceeds on his first snap to hand the ball off to Adrian, freak of nature Peterson, who goes 90 yards, to give the Redskins a 10-7 lead. I gotta interrupt my notes here to editorialize a little bit. I've been saying that AP was starting to look a little bit washed over the last couple weeks, and I'm not gonna say here that he looks fresh today, or that he's back to even where he was in the preseason in terms of burst, but in those last 20 yards, he was pulling away from linebackers and defensive backs. It was an awesome, awesome run. It was very well blocked, and obviously he benefited from that. But he was spectacular on that play. He still got it, or at least he's still capable of it, because that was amazing, and it was really fun. And it felt really, really weird, because also we knew that it it had been handed off by Mark Sanchez, and that this lead was not going to last for more than a couple minutes. And I kind of had this weird feeling like maybe it was just sort of like one last little hurrah, little firework for the season before it all completely spiraled out of control. But it was good. It was nice in that moment. I will take it. I will remember that. So the Eagles got the ball back and went on a nice drive of their own. Alshon Jeffrey beat Josh Norman on a third down play to convert the first. Nelson Aguilar beat DJ Swearinger for a big chunk gain. Ryan Anderson got hurt on a tackle attempt near the goal line, which I'm going to come back to later because it relates to a point I want to make about how the Redskins have handled their active roster over the last week or two. But then that drive ended with an awesome fourth down goal line stand and specifically a a sweet tackle in the backfield by Zach Brown on a play in which for some reason he was unblocked. And I remarked on Twitter at that time and do feel that right then he had atoned for his earlier mistakes entirely. Redskins took over on like their own two or three, couldn't do anything, punted back to the Eagles who had good field position. Mick quickly scored another touchdown, uh, a nice one by Darren Sproles in which he absolutely killed Mason Foster and that put the Eagles up 14 to 10. So Sanchez comes back in, he's kind of got one last little shot here to maybe put some points on the board before the half and he does. He did it. He led them to a field goal uh, on the strength of several good plays by him. He hit Doxon on a nice slant. He hit Jordan Reed on a play where Reed then absolutely beasted his way through five eagles for a first down, just barely. I was extremely impressed by Jordan Reed's toughness on that play. I'm sure you remember it. Then Sanchez threw a nice pass to Jameson Crowder for another first down. On one play, he got sacked, and I think he fumbled, and then I saw pictures floating around Twitter of him recovering his own fumble using his butt. So we all had yet another occasion to joke about butt plays for Sanchez. And then anyway, Hopkins kicked a 47-yarder, so they went into half down only one. It was 14-13 Eagles. After half, the Redskins got the ball back, did nothing with it. Then the Eagles got the ball, 
and had a nice drive where Wentz completed several passes, including one to Golden Tate, where he absolutely destroyed the entire Redskins secondary, like all four defensive backs on the field. They were cruising for what I assumed would be an easy touchdown that would extend their lead to two scores and start to put the thing out of reach. But then Josh Norman made an awesome pick based on terrific instincts and I assume film study a few yards deep in the end zone and brought it back all the way out almost to midfield. That, I think, was probably the best and biggest play that Josh Norman has made for the Redskins. And I don't say that to imply that he's been terrible. I mean, he hasn't. I've said on here that he's been good. He's been generally good. He's had some low points. Overall, he has not been worth the enormous contract he got, but he's been good. He's been a good player and has done his job and, for the most part, locked down his side of the field for most of his tenure. But of course, he wasn't making a lot of big plays until this year. At this point now, it's that's not really a thing we should keep saying about him. He's got three interceptions now and three forced fumbles this year. So he figured out his early season issues, and he's actually having a good year. He is the Redskins' best corner. And that interception was really awesome. And, you know, again, at this point, I don't think any of us were feeling like something amazing was about to happen, but it might have. I mean, it might have turned eventually into an incredibly magical, memorable game if the Redskins had somehow, despite all the injuries, including to Colt McCoy, been able to pull it out. And if that's what had happened in the remainder of the third quarter and through the fourth, then we would really be remembering that play by Josh Norman as an unbelievably important one, a season-saving one. So props to him. It was big. The Redskins wasted it, though. They couldn't do anything because Sanchez does suck. Also, Jay Gruden called a ridiculous double reverse thing on which all players in the backfield seemed to be clueless about how it was supposed to get run. And it's entirely possible that Sanchez never actually even practiced that with this team. So that drive fizzled. Eagles got the ball back. Uh, Third quarter ended shortly after Corey Clement picked up a nice chunk of yards on a screen play. And then the fourth quarter started with Corey Clement um, racking up another big gain, getting the Eagles down inside the five. Then Wentz to Matthews for a touchdown and Golden Tate for a two-point conversion, making it 22-13. to The Redskins were down nine. I think it was pretty clear at that point that it was over. On that touchdown pass, Wentz clearly was targeting Matthews the whole way as he was covered by Danny Johnson, who had just come in for Fabian uh, Moreau after he suffered yet another injury. I know you're shocked. I guess I forgot to remind you somewhere along the way that Bergstrom also went out, so the offensive line was just completely decimated. Ty Inseki came in and played some guard. The whole thing was a mess. This is where the broadcast team, and in particular Witten, decided to climb up on a soapbox about Reuben Foster and wax idiotic for 10 minutes even though there was football being played. They couldn't bring themselves to pause their preachy shame session during uh, Mark Sanchez's horrendous pick, which followed, although he did make a really nice violent tackle on the guy who picked his awful pass. Witten was absolutely out of control throughout the entire game. He was making my ears bleed. He's been bad for most of the season, but his incessant flirting in this game with Zach Ertz was absolutely killing me. He needed to get chloroformed. That was pretty much everything that happened in the game. Philly would kick two more field goals to make it 28-13, so the Redskins lost by 15. Between those two field goals, there was that kind of wacky play that was like a lateral thing. Um, Sanchez tossed it out to Jordan Reed, who then threw way across the field to Chris Thompson. It seemed in the moment like kind of another ridiculous play that he shouldn't have called with all these guys who have barely played together. But that play actually worked. It, It could have and sort of should have been a touchdown, unbelievably. If you go back and look at it, you'll see, and and they did point this out, that Trent Williams essentially missed a really key block, the key block on the play to prevent uh, the Eagles guy, Douglas, from just barely tripping up uh, Chris Thompson for a short game. But if 
Trent Williams hadn't uh, slipped actually twice on the play, including once right at the beginning of the play, and then again as he was trying to get to Douglas. CT would have broken that for an, a huge gainer and probably actually taken it to the house. Now, seven points at that juncture still would have only put them within five, and I don't think they would have won the game, but that was a ballsy call that should have and almost worked. Let's do Colt first. My main feeling about the quarterback situation with the Redskins right now is not so much about X's and O's or schemes or production. I tend to have a fairly cold, calculated, matter-of-fact way of looking at the team and evaluating their immediate future. That's just my nature as a fan, and this won't be some glaring exception, but I was really kind of distracted by my feelings of disappointment and sympathy for Colt McCoy. Those things I said earlier are true. He's had a lot of bad fortune in his career. There were going to be obstacles for him to become to overcome rather in his pro career for him to have su- sustained success. That was evident from the beginning. It's why he wasn't a first round pick, even though he's one of perhaps the all time winningest quarterback in Division One history at Texas. But he had injury history when he came into the league. Uh, he's not the biggest guy. He doesn't have the strongest arm. He does have a diverse skill set, though. He's very smart. He has a tremendous attitude and near-perfect intangibles. He went to the Browns and had no chance. His career was doomed there. It didn't work out, unsurprisingly. And also, he sustained a bad concussion and other injuries, which lingered. And he still, in that phase of his career, apparently wasn't even all the way over the shoulder injury from college. He got a chance with the 49ers, dealt with more injury there, and just more losing on a bad team. Then he came to the Redskins and has found a home where the coaching staff truly loves him. Front office loves him. They gave him a contract that could potentially turn into a bunch of money if he were to have turned this opportunity into success. Indeed, he already had one big chance after RG3 uh, flamed out, suffered a neck injury then, which cost him his starting spot, and now here in in probably his maybe his last, certainly his best chance to really take the reins of a team in playoff position with a coach who believed in him and no QB controversy type questions swirling around him. He had this chance. It it may or may not have worked out, and it probably wouldn't have, but he had every chance right there in front of him to potentially achieve what he's been toiling so long for. And he only got one full game as the starter before the chance was dashed again. I mean, it's brutal. It's hard to even recap that career. It hurts. He's a really good guy. He's been incredibly patient. And I do feel for him now, feel feel bad, more bad for him than I do for Alex. Because Alex has, come on, he's lived his life, so to speak. He's had his career. He's had his million chances. If he never sits foot back on the field, I mean, yeah, he, he never got to a Super Bowl, or at least played in one, but he had a good run. Colt has had nothing. It's all been taken away from him. He's not exclusively a victim of circumstance. I mean, he he didn't make his own luck, I guess you might say. But yeah, it just it just really blows for him. I wanted badly for him to have a chance to rise or fall on his own merits so that he could then look back on his career and say, maybe it didn't work the way I wanted it to or expected it to, but I had an opportunity under favorable circumstances. Mostly favorable. But it won't come. It won't come this year and it may never come. I don't think the Redskins were a, quote, playoff team with him anyway. I mean, they may have made the playoffs. It was unlikely he was going to get so hot that they would have scared anybody or or been, you know, had a legitimate chance to win a playoff game. But he was at least a wild card. Uh, With him, I think the offense at least had a chance. And clearly we saw, as expected, that when he went out and Sanchez, who isn't particularly good, 
and who's only been on the team for two weeks, when he came in, they couldn't do anything. He had one little, you know, short drive that put him in field goal range. After that, it was like not a professional unit. They don't have a quarterback right now. I mean, Sanchez is literally it at this moment. I mean, by the time this podcast is done recording, they may have already signed another guy, but that guy sucks. I don't know who he is, but he blows. And Sanchez blows. They are a major long shot to win another game this year. They'll be underdogs and probably significant ones in all four remaining games. Gruden actually, in his postgame presser, which I just watched, conceded something along the lines of, if we have to win games seven to six, then so be it, we'll have to do that. I mean, he knows that he doesn't have an offense anymore. It disappeared. There's nobody out there at this point that's going to fix it. The Kaepernick thing, I, I, I don't think I really even want to get all the way into because it's so much bigger and more complicated than just football, but he couldn't save this season. He couldn't show up with no familiarity with any of these coaches, having been out of football for so long, and come in and lead them to the playoffs. I mean, by talent alone, is he the best available quarterback like on the planet right now who's not on another team and could conceivably come in and take over? He might be. He might be. But he's he's still not enough. There's no chance. And so I can't even imagine them saying that all of the attention and the scrutiny that I guess they've been trying to avoid by not considering him previously, that that they would want to take that on now when it all seems totally futile anyway. And I think even those in the highest positions have got to realize that. I'd be fine with it. I mean, if they want to go out and get him, it sure would be interesting. It's a blogger's dream if they want to sign Colin Kaepernick right now. And then there's a whole other issue with the PR stuff. We've been through Reuben Foster all week and how that's a huge black eye for them. And yeah, I mean, going after Kaepernick might actually be the opposite. Well, who knows? I mean, I guess the whole country is divided, right? I mean, that's the thing. If they sign Kaepernick, they'll have some fans that finally do swear them off forever. They'll have other fans that actually come back. I don't know. That's hard to predict. And that's not really my interest or expertise anyway. But I can't imagine them signing Kaepernick, not at this point for the politics, the kneeling or all that stuff. I just don't think that they, meaning Dan and Bruce and Jay collectively right now, I I don't think that they would see him as a potential savior to the season. I think Sanchez, even having been in the building for just these two weeks, I mean, at least that is a pretty significant head up over anybody who would otherwise basically be a stranger. So they'll keep him and then they'll sign some other low profile, super cheap, career, third string fringe roster guy, backup type dude. TJ Yates or something like that. I mean, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter already. I mean, Sanchez is probably the best option right now, and he's not good enough to get it done. So the guy behind him is just definitely not good enough to get it done. We're talking about not whether they can keep pace in the division, but whether they can win any of the remaining games now. They're still sitting on six. So even that one, if they're lucky enough to win one more, we're talking about a seven-win season. If they lose out, it will have been seven in a row. They're six and ten. They're bottom feeders. They're in the top ten in the draft, probably. So there's just not that much to say right now about quarterback fit and what, you know, how they should be scheming the offense up, whether, you know, they should be moving the pocket, whether they should be doing more play action, going deep, short game, quick game, yada, yada. It doesn't matter. They are cooked at QB. Jay Gruden just might get this whole thing entirely washed off his record because of the injuries again. I mean, it seemed impossible. It seemed almost impossible that the injuries on this team this year would be worse than they were last year, but they are. They've basically had as many offensive line injuries this year as they had last year, and that was the biggest problem at the time. On top of that, they lost their big free agent wide receiver acquisition for the year. They've lost Dunbar for most of the year. They lost Chris Thompson, probably their most dynamic offensive weapon for most of the year. Sheriff was an absolutely enormous loss, and he's included in the offensive line group. Trent Williams missed a few games, and he's back now, but clearly still not himself. I mean, his his missed block on the 
Chris Thompson lateral play was just kind of like a sad microcosm of his season. I mean, he's just not, he, he cannot do right now what he expects his body to be able to do. And then finally, after all of that, if that storm isn't enough, they've now lost their starting quarterback and their backup quarterback to broken freaking legs. It's insane. I mean, it is unbelievable. It is truly unbelievable. It's an unbelievable season's worth of injuries, but for it to have happened on the, on the back of last year's ridiculous string of injuries, I don't know how to, I mean, you know, there's a lot of complaining on Twitter. There, there must be some pattern. There must be some reason. Strength and conditioning coach, yada, yada. There might be something to that because, yeah, I mean, some of these things are soft tissue, I guess. Sheriff's torn peck. I don't know. Maybe that's from overlifting, I guess, in theory. But you can't nail that stuff down. You can sort of say in theory that there must be some common denominator. But it's not true that there must be. I mean, I know a little bit about medicine. And I also think I'm pretty good at logic and probability. And I can tell you that most of these things probably were not preventable. Especially including, obviously, the broken bones by the quarterbacks. And on top of that, it's inescapable that there is just... You know, when you've got 32 teams, one of them is going to have the worst injury luck of all for any two or three year period. And that is us, my friends. I'm sorry. It's just us. One or two teams is going to get off shockingly lucky. And one or two teams is going to just absolutely get pulverized. And it's really just a roll of the dice. And it sucks, but we are it. I I mean, I skipped over Geis. Geis happened before the season started. And Geis's injury hit me so hard, you know, as a fan, not even really like a, a super emotional or sentimental fan. Geis's injury just knocked me over with how cruel and unfair and unusual it felt for this, this kid, this cool underdog story, whose whole image and personality and everything about him seemed so much better than what was, you know, what he was made out to be during the process of his fall in the draft. He came in and immediately won over the fan base with his infectious personality and looked awesome in camp and in his few plays in his first preseason game. And he just represented hope and in, in goodness on some level in the Redskins, which is so hard to come by. And he went out immediately, poof, he was gone. We barely got to even like taste what he could do. And he was gone with an injury that he'll probably recover from completely or near completely, but you know, that's still not even a given as good as medicine is. It just felt, you know, I laughed. I walked away. You guys, some of you were paying attention at that point and saw that I stopped tweeting and recording and everything for six weeks and thought, you know, very seriously at that time about punting on the season and and maybe longer. Injuries are a part of football. They are inevitable. And, you know, if you can't swallow it, then there's not much point in being a fan. But they are horrible, and they are so horrible for this team. It's the worst thing about the NFL for me right now, by far. It's the thing that is most likely to eventually push me away or cause me to fade in my enthusiasm because they just ruin the product. When you lose your best players, it makes the whole thing pointless, and it totally defeats the purpose of trying to build a roster, which is a a process and a formula that I think is so fascinating, and of developing team chemistry and of just putting the whole thing together into a complete puzzle. It doesn't matter if you're able to do that if your puzzle pieces all go up in flames. And, you know, you only get 16 regular season games every year, and then you go on hiatus from real football for, you know, three quarters of the calendar year. So having two seasons completely ruined by injury, I know you're feeling this with me, it really, really blows. We can't even have the satisfaction of knowing whether or not our coach is a problem, because you can't evaluate anything. 
It's all garbage. It's like meaningless. And so even though I think that Jay Gruden is probably topping out at mediocre as a head coach, it's very hard for me to be certain of it. And I think hard for his employers to be certain of it. And if they can him, they're just not going to know if they're doing the right thing or not. I mean, they're not even going to have that conviction in either direction. So even though I've said previously that, you know, even more injuries wouldn't buy him yet another pass. I mean, I actually think that they have been so unbelievably impossibly bad that they might. How can you judge a guy by how he finishes the season with Mark Sanchez or Josh Johnson? It just doesn't matter. He's just flailing. Now, all of that said, the Redskins have a really, really big problem right now because this season is going down the tubes. They've got their number one and number two quarterback injured badly for an extended period. Perhaps one or both will be completely ready for the start of next year, but it's not automatic. They're both under contract, but they won't be able to take like any practice snaps in OTAs or who knows what they'll be able to do in training camp or the preseason. Sanchez won't be here. They've got nothing. I mean, they literally at this point have to draft a quarterback. I mean, I don't know how high, but that's a that's a certainty. And they'll have to acquire one or two more guys who can, you know, at least kind of know their way around an offense. Or they won't even be able to have a team that can practice for much of the offseason. You got a few million tied up in Colt, even though he won't trigger any of his bonuses or opt-out clauses. And you got 20-whatever million tied up in Alex, who wasn't good when he was healthy, and who may never be healthy again. This is a total nightmare. They may not know that they have nothing, but almost as bad is not knowing at all what you have or what you will have. You're banking on doctors. And trust me, doctors aren't perfect. If drafting a QB in the first couple of rounds wasn't already on the table, it is at the very least back on the table and firmly in the middle of the table with a big flower arrangement. Now, I got distracted from Gruden, but I I just, again, I don't know how you can say that he's been good enough or that he hasn't. And it's especially hard for the front office right now because fans are going to be extremely disgruntled at the end of this season, like more so than ever in recent memory, perhaps. To have been teased for the first couple of months with a winning record and a first place title there for a few weeks, and the expensive new quarterback, and some hype, albeit unfounded probably. To have been teased like that, and then for this thing to disintegrate to the extent that it has, when the stadium was already in the process of getting emptier and emptier and emptier every week, and to try to run it back with like the same staff and the same quarterbacks, except they're now broken... I don't know how you sell that, and they do care. You know how much they care about selling it. They gotta sell tickets and merchandise. That is really the whole point of Daniel Snyder doing this, whether he's a fan or not. But you're gonna go into next season with the fan base at like an all-time low. And on top of that, the one thing that you've really kind of had working in your favor for the last few years because you've been fiscally responsible, that being the salary cap, you don't even have that on your side anymore because 11% of it or, or if you count both of them, something like 14, 15% of it will be accounted for by quarterbacks who may not even be ready by September. It is a brutal current situation for the executives and the coaches and the fans. And I will acknowledge that it's tempting right now. And I'm not saying it's wrong. It is very tempting in this moment to say, I can't keep doing this. Blow it up again. Blow everything up. And of course, I absolutely do want Bruce Allen out. And even though I may be kind of like, waffling a little or uncertain about Jay, I would absolutely sign up right now voluntarily for four more losses, meaning a seven-game losing streak to close it out, and definitely sacrifice Jay and probably some of the marquee players 
if I knew it was going to get me Bruce's firing, or maybe not firing, because actually, honestly, I, I think, you know, when the time comes for him to move on, it's not going to be a firing. Dan probably wouldn't allow that. They'll come up with some other title for it, reassigning him to California or repurposing him to, you know, Redskins Charitable Foundation. I don't care. Whatever it is, the the end game for him as a personnel executive, if if, if some further continuation of this disaster was going to get me Bruce gone, bring it to me right now. Yes, please. I'll take two. And then, you know, you're, you're starting over from scratch, which, which kind of sounds appealing when you're in the midst of such tribulation. But even that we wouldn't be able to fully enjoy because of this weight around our necks in the form of a big contract to a declining quarterback who's not even ready to go. Oof. I said earlier I'd come back to this, so I will, but I'll make it Short and sweet. In the Thanksgiving game, Casanova McKenzie tore his peck. I think it was pretty much known by the team almost right away. I mean, they may not have been certain for a couple of days, but they were strongly suspicious that he was done for the year that night. That, of course, was over a week and a half ago. They didn't do anything with him officially, with his roster spot, I mean, until four or five days ago when they uh, formally put him on IR. They never replaced anybody on the active 53-man roster. They carried 52. They're still at 52. Uh, They only made six guys inactive tonight. Now, yes, of course, if they had added somebody else over those final few weeks or or days heading into the game, probably that's somebody who would have ended up being inactive anyway, but not definitely. And anyway, I just have a problem with it um, because it doesn't make a lot of sense. It probably wasn't a huge deal. Uh, Obviously, it's not the reason that they lost. But carrying that open roster spot is like one less level of security or insurance at um, at least one position group that you would have had in the event that, say, somebody woke up this morning and dropped a glass table on his toe and severed it, as Gruden said uh, about Josh Holsey before this season started. Or if somebody just woke up sick. I mean, they were thin in a couple places, including outside linebacker, which of course is McKenzie's position. And then Ryan Anderson got hurt during the game, so they only had three left. They had Kerrigan, Preston Smith, and McPhee, who's not exactly some sturdy, invincible player. I think the idea of wasting that spot, it was sort of like highlighted all the more when it became so obvious to the whole world that there wasn't another quarterback on the active roster or the practice squad when Mark Sanchez had to come in and start taking snaps. There still isn't one. Nobody. I mean, they could have in that period, either signed another quarterback to just have his rights uh, or promoted somebody from the practice squad and put that stash, that additional quarterback from the outside, whoever he may be on the practice squad. So at least he could have been in the playbook for these last week and a half instead of coming in cold like he's going to have to do tomorrow morning and then suiting up on Sunday against the Giants. I just can't really understand how it made any sense. And it's not a big thing, but it is a thing. And a lot of little things like this add up to a really big thing, which is chronic mediocrity under current ownership. I'd say that's about enough misery for one night, so I guess I'll wrap this up. It's going to be very interesting to see how this whole thing plays out. We say that most years around here and not for the right reasons. So I'm still hooked. I'm still intrigued. I'm still involved. I will be watching closely, but no, I don't particularly expect the Redskins to win another game this year. Yes, I think they'll be in the quarterback sweepstakes. No, I don't really know how that's going to happen based on the money, but Eric Schaefer is going to have to figure something out. If you, like me, are not quite ready to jump ship yet, you're always welcome back here on Burgundy Blogcast to commiserate and help me solve the world's problems. Please follow me on Twitter, at Burgundy Blog, and chime in there. 
That's my favorite place for Redskins dialogue. Please subscribe via your preferred podcast app, whether it be iTunes slash Apple Podcasts or Overcast or Stitcher or my personal favorite for iPhone Pocket Casts. Subscribe to Burgundy Blog and Burgundy Blogcast so that every episode is immediately and automatically available to you and easy to listen to. And those of you who listen on iTunes, please go and give me a short review so that iTunes will start recommending Burgundy Blogcast to people trying to find Redskins content. Also, again, if you haven't yet, jump over to bluewirepods.com and check out the lineup of other podcasts because there's a good chance there is one there about another team in another sport that you also like to hear about. That's it for week 13. See you next week.